Parker, you're such a juvenile. What's that on your shoe? I don't like where you're at today. Clean I'm it fine. up. Clean dog it days. up. It's the dog days, man. It's the it dog days of August. It is. You don't get to We're use coming that out excuse. of the dog days. We're coming out of the dog days, right? When do the dog days end? Does anybody know? Like, is there an actual day? I'm end. not sure. I, I, I think that's a, a good excuse for a baseball player to, to take a break and is say the day it's when okay, they release you say stink. Kikuchi. Is that officially <laughs> the end of the dog days? <laughs> the topic of conversation that you have to have. Yeah. When do you use him? You got to get him. You got to get nah, him in the game. We don't. Oh, need, you do. We don't need to oh, talk they're about being it. Told. You know they're being we don't, told. We don't, Make sure you use him. We don't need to talk about it. Nine run lead, not an eight run. We don't need to talk about it today because the Jays won 3-2 last night. They've won 6-7. of seven. A win today in the series finale puts them 13 games over 500, Ooh. which matches their high watermark for the year. And is kind of where you want to be. Winning? At yeah. this time of the season. Well, it's good to win, for sure. You, know, you, you want to be... You, you wanna be you want to be playing your ba- your best baseball going into September. It really is amazing how good your team can look when your starting pitcher looks good. It's remarkable. It really it's it am- almost it, makes you think it that, is amazing. It almost makes you makes you think that m- momentum is the next day starting boy, pitcher. Boy, you're it almost makes you think that. Boy, you're uh, smart. here are the standings. By the way, after lights, last night's action, the Yankees had the night off. They're six seventy six and forty eight. They're now seven and a half up only on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's got into that. The Rays have won five in a row. The Jays are 67 and 55. Baltimore 64 and 59. Nobody cares about Boston. If you look at the wild card standings right now. It's funny how you went from the Orioles Tampa's, to the Red Sox of not caring. Yeah, this is amazing, isn't it? Tampa scary. Bay's a game and a half up. They've got the first wild card spot. Toronto second their game up. Seattle's in the third hole, followed by Baltimore, Minnesota's four back, Chicago's four back. The uh, Cleveland Guardians are uh, Ooh, look like in the they, butt. they're in the process That's right now. It looks be. like of clinching that, not clinching. You know, magic numbers a great distance away, but they look like they're the best team in the in the Central by far. If the playoffs started today, the uh, Seattle Mariners would be in Cleveland to take on Cleveland, and Toronto would be in Tampa to take oh. on Tampa. We asked this question on Blue Jays talk last night after their three-two win. Seattle. Theoretically, your first-round opponents could be Seattle, Tampa, Cleveland. Let's just assume that one team makes it from the Central and every, everything else goes the way it goes. If you are the Blue Jays. Now, obviously, your answer would be whatever gives you home field advantage. But here's the thing. Would you rather play the Rays in Toronto, the Rays in Tampa, Cleveland and Cleveland, or Seattle and Toronto. I'd rather, Toronto, Seattle. I'd rather play rather in, any of those teams at the Rogers Center. Yeah. Any of them. Right. So if you have home field advantage, I Correct. don't care who you it know. is. I'm okay with uh, that. Okay, home field advantage. But who who would you pick of those other? I mean, you're not going to have home field who, who, advantage. Who would you like to play? I, I'll tell you what. I don't want any part. I would take my chances with Tampa Bay and Seattle. I don't want any part of Cleveland. Not right now. I, I'm with you. I'm with and, you. Especially the way they play I the Jays. I think they have a... a, a Borderline great closer. I think they have a couple of starters up front that can pitch to the Jays' weakness, which is middle away and make the secondary tunnel, 
make it look like a strike, go off the plate. We saw it. They came here. They did exactly the same thing for however many games they played against them. So it's it's a theme. They can do it. And their their lineup's relentless. Like, uh, they don't have great names. They're not a bunch of homers. But, man, they put every pitch in play. They make you make every single play. They hustle down the line. If that's a theme, if you're into that, which I am, they'd be a pain. The Mariners is the one team with Ray and Castillo I'd take my chances with. I like I got if you're if you're asking me, I don't the Rays the Rays can match up pitching wise. There's a reason why the Rays were in the first first wild card. It's not because they can hit. Robbie Ray's got to get his yeah, he's got to get himself vaxxed at some point, doesn't he? If the schedule kind of bobs around the way it does, is there? I, I guess there is a scenario where they would have to face Toronto in the first round. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure he if he hasn't done it yet. Why would he do it? I'm not, I'm not going to speak for him. Anthony Santander did it. Sure. I don't know. He yeah, wasn't vaxxed the first time the Orioles. Robbie came Ray will have to, Robbie yeah. Ray will have to answer for that. I, I don't I don't have any idea. But anyhow, I, I <laughs> think the Mariners would be my pick. I I yep. think I think it would be tough facing all of those teams. I, you would rather, if you're a Jays fan, face all of those teams at home. Yep. Because you're obviously a better home team. Now Barrios looks like he's turned the corner, so that helps. That was my mechanically segue. all those things. It seems like you know it doesn't matter if he plays if he's pitching at home or on the road. So that's a big plus. So now you got probably your big three lined up, and you got Stripling lurking. Your bullpen seems like it's found, and and Jordan Romano's throwing ninety nine consistently, which is a huge deal. So if you ask me, if I have to answer, I would say the Mariners. All right, the your mention of Brios is a perfect segue into last night's game. The Jays won three two, as we mentioned. Uh, George Springer driving in the go ahead run. In the 10th inning, the automatic base runner was Jackie Bradley Jr. Springer jumping on the first pitch from Ryan Brazier, doubling off the uh, monster to bring in Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, Jose Brios got the start, six innings, five hits, one walk, six strikeouts. Uh, a second inning glitch where he walked Hernandez, gave up the home run to Franchi Cordero, but in and around that, uh, got a lot of good defense. Matt Chapman with one of the one of the plays of the year in the hole at shortstop. Crazy. Backhanded flip to start a double play. Bo made a couple of really nice defensive plays as well in that game. Anthony Bass comes in, gets two big strikeouts. Adam Simber gets the aforementioned double play. And uh, Jordan Romano comes in with a man on. and ten, uh, Obviously the automatic base runner. He freezes him there, intentionally walks Devers and strikes out Kike Hernandez. John Schneider really pulling all the levers last night. Anthony Bass, a terrific outing, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and then intentionally walking. The intentional walk worked perfectly both times for John Schneider in the uh, seventh and, uh, sorry, eighth and um, tenth innings. Let's talk about Barrios, Kevin. Uh, what did you see out of Jose Barrios? Uh, he was good enough. I, I don't think his breaking ball was exactly where he wanted his breaking ball to be. Uh, I think he made an in-game adjustment with the tunneling uh, the same arm speed, uh, the location with the changeup and, and the sinker. and the two seamer was huge. You know, it looks to me like it's a two seamer. Obviously, there's a different thing. Sinker is has more of a eleven four break. A two seamer has just movement side to side. You're not trying to get swing and miss. You're trying to get weak contact. You're just you know that's a that's a weak contact pitch. It looked to me more like a two seamer. And the adjustment was the changeup looks exactly the same, except it's about ten miles an hour slower. That that was an in-game adjustment that you make when you're choking off your your best secondary pitch, and you know a lot of the times it's not it's non-competitive. You have to make an adjustment. It seems like now because of the mechanics are simplified, 
He can do it. I've been the one that says it's odd that a guy that's been around as long as he has has had the trouble in game of making adjustments. I heard him last night after the game talking about pace. Pace seems to be a big deal for him. You know, he needs a, he needs sort of the guy. So Kirky last night, uh, he threw a curveball, and Kirky was like, first time I've seen this all year, basically was like, let's go. Like, you can do, like, seems like Barrios needs that. Mm-hmm. It's just odd because he talks about the pace thing and and the timing and the, and the break out of the glove. That's the ball leaving the glove in his motion and all the things to get it out front and repeat it over and over again to be able to locate and have the movement that he wants to both sides of the plate. But I just thought the the in-game adjustments were good enough. He was good enough against lefties. What were the lefties? First time through the order, they were three for five. After that, they were one for seven. So he's making adjustments in-game that enables him to go a little bit deeper and give his team a chance to win and not make the manager and the pitching coach figure out how to piece it together you know, we all know the woes that he's had all year. Mm-hmm. It's been up and down. But it just seems like the last couple of starts, he's found something that he can build off of. It's simple. You don't overthink it. Uh, it just seems like the catcher and him are on the same page, and they've got the little, okay, here we go. Like, you're fired up. You can do it. Repeat it. Throw enough strikes. Give your team, your lineup, enough chances to to figure out the other guy and Played a good enough defense. That's what they were doing. It was still one of those games where the Jays had an awful lot of issues with runners in scoring position. That fourth inning in particular with uh, Hernandez and Bichette striking out uh, an inning in which the Jays did score a run on uh, on, on a Kirk single. Kirk had two infield hits. He's got now got 13. 13, which is more than even Russ Martin had. Which is it's crazy. It it it's it's baseball. Yeah, man. I'm gonna take I'm gonna it's take baseball. up I'm gonna take up for him that Garrett Whitlock is no. Day at the beach. Uh, Schreiber is, <laughs> I mean, that's nasty. I, I was thinking about that. If you're if you're a, a right-handed hitter and, you know, the, you see teams figure out ways to not throw lefties against you, so you still have to see the slider that goes down in the way, the fastball away. I mean, you got to have nightmares about that. And a lot of guys just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're a young light up. A lot of guys don't know how to, you know, drive down and throw a ball, create backspin to right center. You see Vladdy. Vladdy tries to do it. But timing-wise, he's in between. That's why you see pitchers. They quick pitch. They slow it down. They stop. They make him stand there. I yeah. see it all the time. We've There's reasons why they do that. Just to disrupt, make him stand up there, get stale, because he has moving parts, and all those moving parts have to have to be on time. And they know how they want to get him out, which is a way. And to, be, to go away and hit a baseball to right center field like he's supposed to, mechanically, timing, everything has to be on time. You have to make contact against a firm front knee and you got to catch barrel and ball out in front to be able to creep backspin. If you don't, it's a foul ball. So they know it. That's why they're trying to disrupt it. And, you know, again, it's they're doing enough to win baseball games and that's what good teams do. Anthony Bass last night. We have to talk about, about the, uh, the Jays bullpen. Uh, Anthony Bass hitting 97 last night. He averages 95 Jimmy Garcia hitting 98. Jordan Romano, you talked about 99. But Anthony Bass comes into the game. Runners on the corners. One out. Strikes out Hernandez. We mentioned Franchi Cordero's intentionally walked. Strikes out Dahlbeck. We also have to mention that the Red Sox were without Xander Bogarts, Christian Arroyo, and Tommy Pham, all of whom were hurt. So they're also playing. Uh, they're, they're playing with a, a shortened bench mm-hmm. as well. Not I'm not making excuses for him, but I'm just... I'm just pointing it out. I'm just pointing it out as fact. 
But we've talked about swing and miss stuff in the bullpen and how we need to see more of it. Uh, look, I think maybe we need to, at, at this point, Kevin, the bullpen is what it is. Uh, it's clear that John Schneider, Pete Walker, and I'm going to put Matt Bushman in here as well. It's clear that they've figured out roles for these guys. They're, you know, they have preferred roles yeah. for them. It doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but they've got preferred roles for this guy. They seem to have, they seem to have an idea of how they want to, when they can, how they want to script games out. Sure. Yeah, maybe it's time to start uh, giving this bullpen a little more love than we have. And, and, and I mean, they're middle of the pack in a lot of stats. They don't really jump out in a lot of ways, but they've got some guys, you know, you look at what are the numbers in Jimmy Garcia's four-seamer. It's one of the best pitches in baseball. Eight for 78 going into last night. Six of the eight hits are doubles. Mm-hmm. I, I, whatever he's doing, it's working. Well, for me, Jimmy Garcia has five pitches. You don't always have to throw five pitches. If you locate a secondary pitch, be a little unpredictable, have the extra gear, which is, you know, your pitching coach, your manager is in tune with. Now, if you give him a day off in between, you maybe occasionally can give him two days. You'll see the uptick in velocity. The stuff gets better. The break on the secondary pitches are better. He can be unpredictable when you can do that. Sort of like Anthony Bass. If Bass can throw the slider OO for strike one, now all of a sudden you put the hitter on defense and he can sneak a sinker by somebody in a slider count when they have to look for it or, you know, it's a, more of a surprise pitch than it is he's using that to, to lean on. So, yeah, I, I think it's – a, a accumulation of a couple of things. I think Jordan Romano has solidified the ninth inning now. I think we can tip our at to a guy that's made some adjustments, an organization that's allowed him to make some adjustments, give him time, you know, four, five, six days in season to say, go do what you want to do. You want to add a wind-up, do it. You want to, uh, you know, eliminate all the movement and the squatting that you do to be able to maintain strength that adds velocity so you can maintain velocity every time you hit the mound from pitch one. Don't show up pitch one and it's 94. Show up, it's 99. We're starting to see that. Mm -hmm. There's a reason Mm -hmm. why we see that. So you give both sides credit. Uh, You mentioned Matt Bushman, and I don't know if you saw this before the game or not. He was sitting with Yusei Kikuchi. He was doing a – It was during the game I saw it. I think his first inning maybe. I think it was before game and they were showing that. It wasn't – I don't think it was during the game, but – Anyway, whenever, yeah, it, whenever was, it was, you, you saw him down there and he was using a pencil and, and short of using a piece of paper to show direction. At least, I mean, I was trying to read his lips and, and you know, cause, because he would do the, he would have the piece of paper. He would have a, a pen of when his body was supposed to turn. Like if the paper, when his front foot landed, was a little towards the, I think, well, he's left-handed. So it would be a little towards the the third base side. His arm would be playing catch-up, and he was trying to show him what it was look like. If the paper was a little towards where his front foot was landing, towards the first base side, and then just his arm I, was playing catch-up. It was, I mean, it, it's visual. I know. I mean, it, I'm, I, I'm They've obviously silly. tried to use the iPad, and that's not working. So no. what's last resort? You have to have a guy come down with a piece of paper in your hand with a pen, you know, and you're actually showing a guy. So I thought that was pretty cool. It that was. Even, even, was nodding a lot, so hopefully he understood this, what was being said. Even at this level. Guys still get taught things, which is exactly what needs to happen. So, you know, again, you you give everybody credit. Sort of they've got everything lined up here. And with George Springer leading off, it almost – I don't want to say it it eliminates that they need balance, but it almost takes their lineup from good to great. Like it's it's with with Vladdy, with Alejandro Kirk, with Lourdes Gurriel Jr., give them credit for that too. 
they've taken Lourdes from seventh, sixth, fourth, and now he is an everyday three-hole hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. And that has something to do with, obviously, Lourdes has shown them that he can go line to line and hit good pitching and lay off the breaking ball and use the breaking ball to his benefit and hit with runners in scoring position. He is the number three-hole hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. He can protect Vladdy. He can do things when George and Vladdy get on base. He can run. He can, go, he can score from first to home, which is what Kirk has issues with. So more now, Kirky's a run producer than a guy that's running. So just you give every right now everybody credit. And oh, by the way, their starting rotations found its happy place and they're starting to do things because Barrios has turned the corner. It's it's kind of nice to see everything all come into place. Kevin Gossman gets a start going for the sweep tonight against Cutter Crawford. Cutter with a K. Uh it just drives you nuts, doesn't it? That's just dumb. <laughs> I mean it is. Don't get me started on names. Don't get me started on names. Hey, you're overthinking that. It's his name. He can do what he wants with it. Anyhow. It's just the K thing. Uh, it's the K. I have to be honest with you. I didn't think twice about it. You probably didn't. I didn't. You, probably, you got way more important things in your mind. Absolutely. Way more important things in your mind than that. Um, we did touch on Matt Chapman's play, that double play again. Matt Chapman's defense, and I, I, I know that there has been considerable discussion as to how a lot of the defensive metrics don't necessarily. Yeah, the khakis don't really like it, like him a lot of the time. Well, they do. I, I, I think he might be one of those outliers where there, there may be a reasoning that explains it, and a lot of that is, I think, positioning where he's positioned, how he's play, how he's being played. The wrist issue too. I, had. I, well, but I just, I, I mean, he covers more ground to make plays than a lot of than a lot of people in baseball. But again, that double play uh, last night, just the 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 awareness, the court awareness, as you call it, the court awareness when you yeah. make a play like that. I would love to be able to talk to Matt Chapman and say, what exactly went through your head? Like, what do you see there when you make that play? And he'll probably say, oh, it's pretty easy. I no, I, 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 think he, I, I, I think he's practiced that <clears throat> that throw anyway maybe not the dive and the you can't warrior. practice a dive right well i mean you could but who would want to i mean yeah. it's a long season like Jim Edmonds come out there early and really dive false hustle oh yeah good. he does that end game catch it and then dive. yeah <laughs> yeah a little oh, false well, hustle. Well, look at me well look it's it's <clears throat> he has a great pre-pitch setup which is a big deal you, you got to have something to not keep you flat-footed you to start flat-footed and think you're going to make reaction moves and be quick with them and and Catch the ball in the glove where you want to catch it all the time is not realistic. So he has a he has a great pre pitch setup, and then to be able to time his dive right, uh, to be able to now that toss I do that I did that underhand a lot from first base. You catch the ball in the hole first base. You're trying to lead the pitcher. You don't you want to do that straight armed. If you bend your elbow any whatsoever, the ball is going to lollipop. And it's not going to go where you want it to go because you want to put a little something on it. You want to lead the guy. You don't want, you know, Bo to be reaching over because you're trying to turn the double play. You understand who's running. Devers is running. You got a little bit of time. I mean, he's a decent runner. He's not a great runner. But that throw has to be firm. It has to lead Bo just so Bo can catch it, throw it. So everything that went into it, I'm sure if you ask him, he would say that it's reaction. Like I, I caught it. I threw it the way I thought I was supposed to throw it. And I make the play. I think that's what great 
defenders do, and I'm looking at him as a great defender, and they're feeding off of each other. I just think when you're a pitcher, and we've heard pitchers talk about this, how much easier it is to pound the zone, Not don't nibble, come after people because of the way they're playing the infield defense. Now, I know second base, there's you know, that sort of a revolving door there, but shortstop Bo occasionally will have Bo issues, but for the most part, he's been playing good defense. Matt Chapman's doing his thing. That just, when you have the shift as big as the shift is, and you can put your third baseman closer to the second base bag and say, if that falls all over the place, go get it and throw a guy out. It's It makes everybody else on your, your team better, and that's how you win baseball games, and that's how great teams do it. And right now, they're they're playing like a, maybe not a great team, but a really, really good team. Yeah, they... Uh... They, they, it's, it just seems as if a lot of stuff has fallen in place for them. And the stuff that's been an issue throughout the year, Bo Bichette's hitting, uh, is just, it's not, they're making up for whatever shortcomings there are in their game right now. It's, it's really, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to watch. It's only August 25th and there's a lot of games coming up. I, I know that, but it's, it's, kind of fun if you follow a team all year to see stuff just sort of fall into place you know and if you can go into september and you've got your you've kind of got your ducks lined up like really what are we talking about right now the outstanding issue with the blue jays is when the rosters expand how do you account for the fact that you want you want to look at julian mary whether you you may want nate pearson you may want zach pop up here how do you account for that plus the fact that you've got Yusei Kikuchi, a guy that you're essentially trying to stay away from? That's kind of the issue with the Blue Jays. You know, George Springer keeping him healthy, that's been an ongoing issue. But when that is the most important decision you are looking at as an organization, that's not bad at this time of year. That's not bad. You know, you look at the issues surrounding the Blue Jays, for example, are much less than the issues surrounding the Yankees. Now, the Yankees have that lead, but the Yankees have more going on than the Jays do. I, I just look at the teams that are in, they're in the playoff hunts. You look at the Astros, you look at Cleveland. The Yankees will put aside because they are they use home field advantage to their benefit. The, the lineup has power. They'll hit they'll hit a bunch of home runs. Tampa, Toronto, Seattle. You can throw Baltimore in there. All those teams rely on pitching. It's about pitching and defense. All those teams do it. Like you, even the Yankees. I mean, I know the Yankees have had issues injury wise and. You know, underperforming with certain players, but when they went on their big run and and got their big lead, what do we always talk about? Their rotations healthy, yep. and there's some surprises there. You look at all these teams; it always starts with starting pitching and ends with power out of the bullpen. If you can get both of those and play decent defense and get some timely hits, this is all of a sudden. We we mentioned this. We said if Barrios can turn the corner and be the number th- I said mm-hmm. number three guy, everything else will fall in place. What's it doing? Yeah. Oh, you're right. And then it also helps when Springer's back. Springer's back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really That's does. huge. Although I think I, I'm almost at the point now because I know that we're going to, we're going to do the annual or the, the daily George Springer dance today, right? When the lineups come out. Oh, he's got a day off. Oh. I, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to cease talking about it because whatever they're doing, we may not understand it completely. We may not like it, but whatever they're doing is working with George Springer right now. It is. So I'm just going to 
sit back a little bit here and let let him get his days off when he when they give him his days off and and see where it goes because this is what I needed to see from George Springer. This is why they signed him. Now it's not September yet, but this is why they signed him. They signed George Springer to do this for this team in big games, in meaningful games. And whatever they're doing, it's going to drive us all nuts. I get it. It's going to drive us all nuts because you want George Springer to play 162 games. Mm-hmm. It's going to drive us all nuts, but whatever they're doing is working because he's getting, they're getting maximum production out of him. I mean, guys, when you can hit over 500 for a couple of weeks or however many games he's been doing it, that's pretty good. Sure. Well, I know we got, we're got we up against it here. I mean, he's played 96 games. I don't know what your definition of it's working. I mean, I, I, I guess if you're right now well, what, whatever the number would be that you want him to play in a regular season game to get him ready for October. I, I mean, I guess it's working. Like he's played 96 games or however many games they played. So he's missed almost 30 games yeah. this year. I mean, that's quite a that's quite a bit of games. Oh, it's a lot of games. It I'm, is. That's but, quite but, a bit of games. But, again, but I get your point about whatever it's, it's Something to the player as good as he is can have time off and just hit the ground running the way he does says a lot about what kind of player he is. If I'm going to get really this does. out of George Springer and he's only going to play five out of every seven games sure. the rest of the way, there you I go. put my hand I'm, up and I'm taking that. I'm with you. I'm, I'm taking with you. that. Yeah. Uh, big weekend at the ballpark uh, this coming weekend. The Angels are in town. There is, and, and we're going to see Shohei Otani and Alec Manoa uh, pitching on Saturday in the secondary Ticket market apparently has is, is gone bonkers for that game. It's, it's sold out. Uh, it's also going to be the anniversary or an anniversary of the 1992 Blue Jays World Series champions, the 30th anniversary. A lot of those teammates or a lot of those Blue Jays players will be here. Uh, so we'll see Cito Gaston, Paul Beeston as well. Pat Borders was the 1992 World Series MVP for the Blue Jays. And Pat Borders will join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. delivery fly ball deep left field high drive hooking into the corner hooking jumping is get there she goes home run pat borders the blue jays in flight leading one to nothing pat borders now five for ten in the world series that is his first world series home run that was uh jerry howard with the call in 1992, the Toronto Blue Jays won their first of back-to-back World Series, beating a really good Atlanta Braves team. We were just running through the rosters of these teams, of those two teams. <laughs> Pitching matchups were <laughs> crazy. Oh, uh, this weekend, the Jays will celebrate the 30th anniversary of the 1992 World Series win. More than 15 members of the team will be in attendance. They include Joe Carter, Dave Steeb, Todd Stottlemyre, Mike Timlin, Dwayne Ward, Devon White, Dave Winfield, and, of course, Cito Gaston, Paul Beeston, Gord Ash, and many more. The ceremony will take place on Saturday. It is a 3.07 first pitch. Gates will open at 1 o'clock, 
and the Jays are asking fans, because the game is a sellout, the Jays are asking fans to get down there as soon as possible and get in your seats, get whatever you need to eat, whatever you need to drink, get that out of the way, get in your seats for the opening ceremony or for the ceremony itself. It should be uh, a lot of fun. There's also a retro Blue Jays bomber jacket giveaway the first 15,000 fans, and there will also be throwback giveaways in the WestJet flight deck. Uh, and uh, there will be, as I said, a whole bunch of pregame, a whole bunch of pregame ceremonies. There's mementos from the 1992 championships all around the ballpark. It's going to be a lot of fun. The MVP of the 1992 World Series will be in attendance as well, and we're very pleased that uh, he joins us this morning on Blair and Barker. Pat Borders. Pat, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself today. We we trust that you're doing well and we look forward to seeing you and indeed all your your teammates your teammates this weekend. When you guys when you guys get together, Pat, what's the first thing you talk about? Well, first of all, it was nice to hear, hear Jerry Howard's <clears throat> voice you were playing it prior to that. That was, that was fun. Uh first thing we talk about it would be probably the last thing we talked about in the locker room, uh, constant banter back and forth, a little bit of sarcasm, more than a little bit, a lot of sarcasm in each other. It's like I, like you saw him yesterday. You could not see him for 10, 15 years, and it's like you you just saw him last night. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really good bond, a good, good feeling to be back with those, those, those guys. Pat, when you were 9 for 20 in the World Series, was there a certain uh, a different approach? Because you, you look at those pitching matchups, those are pretty good big-time names. you got to have some idea of what you're going to do at the plate. Was there something different you were doing, or you were just locked in, and when you were swinging at it, it was going where you wanted it to go? Well, a couple of things. I, I was always hitting kind of a bell curve success failure rate, and mm-hmm. I just finished up a dis- dismal couple of three weeks of hitting, so I said, well, heck, it's about time for me to start hitting the ball decently good. Plus, I, I always thought it was uh, uh, more predictable what they would throw to you in a situation. That, the bigger the situation, the more predictability, I think, it would be for the pitch that you could set on and look on and eliminate some other pitches. So the bigger the, the, the World Series moment, especially if you got a hit prior on a – maybe got a hit with the previous bat, you can almost eliminate that pitch being a strike the next time. It may be a chase pitch or something they're going to show you, but they're going to try to get you out with the opposing pitch. Uh, that doesn't happen a whole lot during the season. They'll come right back at you with the same pitch, but during the postseason they're going to be scrutinized. If they give up, a say, a double off a slider and you come back and start a guy, same guy off with a slider again and he hits a home run, they're going to say, why the hell would you do that? You know, he just he just had success last time he saw it. So it, it there's a little more thought, I think, by the pitcher and catchers. So it's a, probably more more predictable, bigger situation. Now, Pat, that was before interleague play. Um, obviously, you had advanced scouts working on uh, looking at the Braves as, as they got towards the end of the National League schedule through the playoffs. Um, there wasn't the same access to technology we have now. What 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 was the advanced scouting? meeting like going into that series uh they they, they had they had pretty in-depth descriptions of the hitter what they did certain situations and something something stuck out mm-hmm. an anomaly of course that would be mentioned but uh i think we utilized almost the same type of metrics they use now like uh, for example if if i would look at a batter and i could tell his personality or an idea about his personality at least by 
his average walk-to-strike ratio, uh, which I think is a big telltale if they're aggressive or not aggressive, that that's part of their game. And then the, the RBIs was, was always a thing. If you, you have a big moment with the RBI out there for a hitter that likes RBIs, that has a lot of them, then we're more likely to be aggressive and chase balls out, out, out of the zone as opposed to somebody that, like an Otis Nixon would take more of a walk. The bigger the situation, I think the more uh, their personality shows up, and I think you can tell that with the difference in uh, walk to strikeout and RBIs and whatnot. Pat, yeah, yeah, you played a ton of games. The nerves come into play in a World Series? Because, you know, it's sort of like your your first game you ever played in the big leagues. I can remember that. I was so nervous. I had to figure out how to breathe and walk around on the baseball field. How is it in a World Series when it comes to nerves? Very similar. I, 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 my first bat, I remember vividly. I don't know why the guy, Charlie Lee Brown, I don't know why he threw me a fastball, and I danced or don't know why he threw me for a strike. Because I'm swing, I, He could have hit the backstop, and I probably would have swung. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you play so much. You've been programming, programmed so so long that you're nervous the first couple pitches, or maybe your first at bat slightly. And after that, you don't even hear the crowd. Uh, you, 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 there, there could be no one in the stands, or a hundred thousand people in the stands, and you wouldn't notice you're you're that focused and locked in. Now uh, we've talked to Jack Morris an awful lot. Spoken to uh, you know teams. Uh, players about facing Jack Morris and, and things of that nature and uh, just, you know, what a competitor he was. What was Jack Morris like to catch, Pat? Man, I'll tell you what, he's a great guy in the locker room, but my God, he was tough on the mound. <laughs> he's tough, he tough to get along with. He wanted to win and he knew what he was going to do and it, get your butt back there behind the plate and let's do it. He was, he was, he was fun to work with. He was uh, as, as much a competitor as uh, Dave Stewart the following season. Pat, was there a moment in the World Series when you when you thought this is an individual question? When you thought that this were that World Series, we sort of got this. Like, there is there a moment in that time where you were thinking to yourself, "Yeah, I think we got a chance of winning this thing." Uh, I think the big big turnaround moment we got it was Ed Sprague's home run. Mm-hmm. I think that that ignited everybody. I think it changed the whole momentum of of, of the series. Without that home run. They win. They're up two, 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 zero going into Toronto. I think that was the biggest pivotal point and the big emotional change that shifted in our direction. Just that single swing. Now, Pat, I know that you spent a great deal of time in the uh, Phillies organization as a coach and as a manager. Uh, I also know <clears throat> the your the Phillies training facility is really close to the Jays training facility. So I'm sure you got to manage against or coach against or, or see Bo and Vladdy an awful lot. Kind of the young core of this Blue Jays team. Was there any doubt in your mind when you saw them as young minor league players that that they were going to get to where they are right now? I know Bo scuffled this year, but he's still, you know, he had a pretty good year last year, and Vladdy's Vladdy. Was there any doubt in your mind that those two were going to get to where they are now? Uh, Vladdy, he, he's got, a, from what I recall from him, I spoke to him quite a bit uh when I was coaching third base and, and got to interact with him quite a bit verbally, he, he was a very engaging, good kid. Uh, I'm sure he hasn't changed now. His personality was, was infectious. I enjoyed talking to him. And he had the ability, like his father did, to hit balls everywhere. Uh, kind of a almost an old-school type swing where he, he could hit the ball out of the zone, in the zone, uh, hit the, hit the ball the opposite way, pull it for power. He was just a good hitter, and yes, I, I when I first saw him hit, I said, "Damn, this guy's going to be pretty good." Pat, when you say Bo, 
Oh, sorry. Bo, I, I remember Bo. I, I saw I saw Bo as a, a little baby. Uh, hmm. My kids played against Bo's older brother Dante, which I think was drafted fairly high by the Yankees. Yeah, uh, a good player in his own right. Uh, but yeah, I remember him running around a little, a little, a little tiny baby running around. Same on the uh, the baseball field in the big league is kind of fun. Pat, when you see Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, what's your impressions of him? I love that guy. I mean, there's nothing I don't like about him. I don't know his personality that close. I've talked to him a couple times last year in AAA just briefly. Uh, things that jump out to me, you know, you look at him, you think Kirby Puckett, you know, the way he look, looks and built. And his swing is very similar. He's a He's got a very uh, organic swing. I mean, he can hit anything at any time. I think he's really good about, because he's a catcher, of setting on pitches when he has to and pulling the ball, hitting the ball the other way. He, he, he's he got good power, good good presence uh, at the plate. And uh, one of the things that jumps out at me with him is his game-calling skills. He, he, he seems to be not afraid to throw the fastball in, which is – kind of a, a, a danger zone and put most pitchers minds, but he utilizes it enough to uh, exploit the deficiencies of the batter even more so by, by not, not only showing the pitch in, but actually getting the, the batter out in, which, which pays dividends uh, down the road. And Pat, one of the things that we've been watching with Alejandro Kirk is how that, that, that body type, how that is going to hold up in terms of his workload. And, Obviously, his bat, you you got to get that bat in the lineup. I'm wondering, was there a point in your career, was there a certain season, I don't know, a certain month where you kind of felt that you had it figured out in terms of what you had to do to keep your body ready for the rigors of 162 games? Uh, no, not really. You play over, uh, you know, a number of years and your body changes. I remember hitting uh, different, different age ages. Uh, it was really hard to hold weight at all when I was younger. So I really had to eat a lot and, uh, taking a huge amount of calories to keep from dropping to below 200 pounds, which mm. is anemic in my view. Uh, later in the career, I remember hitting some different milestones age wise, like 34 ish, you know, things slowed down. You had to watch, not you, you had you couldn't take as many calories in, and I thought the lighter I was, the better I played. As opposed to earlier in the career, a little bit heavier, I was better. Mm. I had to, had to be more a little bit quicker the, the older I got. So I just kind of watched my my weight fluctuation. You know, sometimes I'd be at two twenty, sometimes uh, get down close to two hundred, which I thought was too too light. But it was it was hard to maintain it because you sweat so much and you're so active behind the plate. Did you ever one of the things Russ Martin did when he when he played in the summer and he felt he was wearing down he would go to a lighter bat. Did you ever do anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I had an array of ounces of bats and generally speaking you started off fairly uh heavy in, in whatever your weight you used and and graduated down to a lighter lighter bat. Obviously the the, bat, the lighter the bat, the less less quality would you get the ball doesn't bounce off as as, as good as it normally does for a heavier bat. But uh, the, the the bat speed over the weight differential, you know, you made better contact. So it helped to, to lighten your bat up. I always did. Pat, listen, we really appreciate you joining us. I look forward to seeing you this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. Have Great fun, stuff, Pat. man. Be Thank well you. and have fun. Yes, safe Thank travels. You so much. All right, appreciate it, guys. See you all. Take care. That's Pat Borders, uh, MVP of the 1992 World Series. Pretty cool. I, I like listening to him talk about the nerves.
Because I, I can just remember the first time I walked on a big league field and how big it looked. And and I would think just the, the moment and, and all the press at the World Series and just everything that goes in. Now you have to forget about that and try and do your job on the field. Can't be the easiest thing I, to do. So it's interesting to listen to him talk like Yeah, that. I did not. Uh, I did not cover that World Series. I covered the playoff run up to it, but I didn't cover that particular World Series. But I remember that because it was, you know, the Blue Jays, history was going to be made, um, you know, a Canadian team in the World Series. And that was a time where newspapers were really, really healthy. Mm-hmm. You had every almost every TV... TV station, radio affiliate, regardless of whether or not they had rights, would have somebody down there. And I, and I covered the 89 World Series. was my first World Series, 90. It used to, it was just remarkable, the size of the media turnout compared to what it is now. Compared to what it is now, now it's like, it's, and now it's, it's minuscule compared to what it used to be like. I mean, every paper in the country not just in Canada, but every major paper and mid-sized paper in the United States would usually send two people to the World Series. A press box would be jammed. Mm-hmm. If you ever see pictures of pre-game batting practice during the World Series back then, I mean, you could not move. You could not move on the field. Mm-hmm. There were so many people around. It was a it was a really big deal. And 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 that that series that Pat Borders had, uh, yeah, I mean, it's. One of the great things about the World Series and baseball postseason in general, the guys that rise to the occasion are Howie Kendrick with the Washington sure, Nationals, just sure. pulling out a, a recent example. Mm-hmm. The guys who just step up and embrace the moment and choose that moment to have to to, to just do something they haven't done in the rest of their career is really, really something. And for a catcher, big workload. Big workload to do it offensively late in the year and, and is really remarkable. Well, he's died for 20 in the World Series with three doubles and a homer with two walks and, and one strikeout. Against that, great pitching. Sure, yeah. It's just interesting to listen to him talk about how bad he was going into that World Series offensively and saying mentally to himself, basically, well, I got, I got nowhere to go but up, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and how the approaches were a little bit easier because he could, you know, he would watch and say, okay, if you give up a, a hit on a slider, probably not going to get that again. Mm-hmm. So I can eliminate that pitch and look for something else. It's interesting to listen to him talk because, you know, the iPad and yeah. all the things that the, the advantages that they have now, they Did, didn't have then. So you had to sort of think it through and watch ahead, watch what your buddy was doing. It's interesting to listen to did that. Did you ever, because of the whole summer thing, did you go to a lighter bat in the summer? Would you ever do that or is that? I choked up. And I never really went to a lighter bat. I, I choked up I, because my sort of my my mechanics, my upper half, uh, where I held my hands sort of was in tune with the weight of my bat. And I, I didn't want to disrupt that, so right. I would choke up because I, I was I had a little long swing occasionally. Like I was out and around. I was, I was a caster because I had too much movement backwards, and I would play catch up. Up the mountain, they call that a lot, where it's a lot of sit and spin. And when you sit and spin, you eliminate length of your barrel. So it looks like an alligator. And right. it's more of a rotational thing than a lower half starts to spin, your upper half follows, and your your hands are going to go where your feet went and your waist went and your shoulders went. And a lot of times I didn't do that because I got too much weight going back. And I was sort of swinging you know, looking up and I had a little spin to it. And I just didn't feel like I'd, I used a 34, 32 wasn't 
you know, Ryan Howard used a like a 35, 34, and I occasionally I'd see him in batting practice use like a 37, 35. Like, because he was a guy, you know, he had the little open stance, but it was basically take it and let the weight fall on the baseball. Mm-hmm. It's that batting practice. Why use that big giant bat? Because he said, all I want to do is, is because I have so much leverage with my lower half and turn with my hips that that's where I create bat speed is I just want the big heavy barrel to just fall on the baseball. And I was starting to think to myself, man, I wish I could do that. But there's only certain humans can do that. And it's to each his own. you got to find the your own. And a catcher, I could assume, is not the easiest thing to do with the hot weather and the squatting and all the things that go through, the sweating and the weight loss. And you have to do what you have to do to give yourself a chance. So I know there are folks out there who think the Blue Jays history began in 2015, um, which is not entirely which is not entirely true. If you want to catch up, you want to relive a little bit of the 1992 World Series, uh, Sportsnet is playing, is replaying three condensed World Series games before and after Saturday's broadcast. At 12 p.m., they'll play game two of the 1992 World Series. That was the one where the Canadian flag was upside down before the game, which, you know, I mean, anthems, flags. Don't get me started. Anyhow, it was a big deal. Uh, that was the game in which Ed Sprague hit his hit his home run. 1 p.m. they'll show Game Three of the Jays and Braves. That was uh, Devon White's uh, just a remarkable catch and a uh, game in which the Jays took the uh, series lead. And then following the game, they will show the clinching game, Game Six, when the World Series came north of the border for the first time ever. That is the 30th anniversary of the 1992. Blue Jays World Series Championship. Again, gates will open at the Rogers Center at 1 o'clock. It is a sellout. Uh, It is going to be crazy. The Jays are asking you to get there early enough, get in your seats to enjoy the pregame ceremony. First pitch is still scheduled to start at 3.07, so work it backwards, and you can figure out probably when the ceremony will be starting, but it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, a, a lot of the... The 92 Jays are coming back, and it's always a great time when uh, when that team when that team gets together. It's kind of odd because th- I've always thought the, the 93 World Series was so dramatic with Joe Carter hitting mm-hmm. hitting the home run and the personalities involved in that team. It's not that the 92 World Series gets overlooked, but sometimes I think that Joe Carter World Series iconic moment. Sometimes I think that it it takes a little bit away, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit away from the 1992 team, despite the fact that, I mean, with all due respect to the 93 Jays, the Philadelphia Phillies team they faced is not, not the same as the, not this the Braves. Braves team. That was, that was, I covered baseball when that Braves team was running rampant and they were, well, Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, pick your poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they were all, they were all pretty good, and we were talking about this a little bit. And the umpires knew they were good. I mean, Greg Maddox got an outrageous amount of strikes. Generous. Glavin did to a certain point as well. Uh, Smoltz was just. Uh, but you can say they've earned. Thrilled. They earned it too. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah. They didn't. They didn't the stumble on. on it. And no, they didn't how, stumble seeing on. Seeing how far away they could go and entice the umpire. Yeah. To yeah. And you know, you know, a lot of that too was the umpire would look at the back of the size of the number on your jersey and who was on the mound, and that's how big the strike zones were then. So, so it's, yeah, it's, 
I, I'm with you. It's just it's interesting to hear how when you haven't seen people because I, I I live this too when I haven't seen a certain player that I liked when I played with them for a very long time. How you react to them? What you you know, especially winning a World Series? Or do you what do you do? It's like that little awkward moment when you first see them. Like I don't know what to do. I'm so excited. What's the first thing you talk about? That was a great question. Like that banter back and forth, and you remember when you were in a clubhouse, you you picked on these certain guys. So it's. And the thing is, it's going to be cool for them. And and there was a certain. The other thing is, there's a certain amount of turnover between the '92 and '93 Blue Jays World World Series teams as well. Um, there were some guys who were back, obviously, but there was there was a certain amount of turnover because one of the things Pat Gillick, the general manager, really believed in, and in some instances his hand was forced because of because of contracts and things in that nature. But he, of that nature, but he was also a big believer, a little bit like the Yankees did, that you had to refresh. As good as your team was, you had to bring new personalities Hungry. in. Yeah, exactly. Alex, you, you, you had to bring guys mm-hmm. in. Uh, Dave Winfield, Ricky Henderson. You had to bring guys in either who had tasted World Series success and wanted one last bite of it, or guys who hadn't had any success or hadn't played key roles in teams and wanted a bite at sure. it. And it really, um, it's a thing. It and Thal- uh, Anthopolis talks about that a lot about the turnover and. You want to bring in hungry players that haven't won it before, that want to do well and, and win a World Series. So that's a fine that. line because there you don't is. you don't want to tinker with the guts of the team. But yeah, you want to momentum's an inter- interesting word. I think it is when it comes to winning and back to back years. How hard it is. It's interesting. Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider, as we mentioned yesterday. The Los Angeles Angels are up for sale. We'll talk to Jeff about the impact that might have in Shohei Otani. The Washington Nationals are up for sale. There's a story out of Washington today that Ted Leonsis, who owns the uh, Wizards and the Capitals, is interested in buying the team. It's going to cost him about $2 billion. Jeff Passan joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Sportsnet Radio Network, 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.